and welcome to the Perfect Gentleman podcast. My name is Zach Faulkner-Barfield. I am the founder and 1PG of the Perfect Gentleman. And alongside me, as always, is the incredibly charming and dapper... James Marwood. Thank you, Zach. kind of you to say. I was thinking about something a bit more, more masculine, but I thought I'd go for the charming and dapper to start with. If that's how I'm known, that would make me very happy. I agree. That's all you want to be known as, really, isn't it? Charming and dapper. So what's our topic today, James? Well, since it's the Olympics... And uh, we'll also soon be starting the the football season. We've got tennis and things like that. I thought we should maybe talk about sport and sportsmanship. I think it's a very good idea. A very apt thing to talk about. Excellent. Is there sportsmanship in sport? I'm not a a huge sports watcher. Most of the sport I do and that interests me is martial arts and fencing and things like that. But I've been suckered into watching the Olympics. It kind of draws you in with the drama. And there's been some really fantastic examples. Been some guys who've let the side down a bit, but... In general, it's been really pleasing to see. The Olympics is really interesting, I think. It's one of those events that lifts the whole sport world to do better, to be better, to actually behave with more sportsmanship than perhaps they would otherwise do in other events. You know, if if they were doing stuff outside the Olympics for their events, their sportsmanship might not be as high, perhaps, or as as forward-thinking. The Olympics, I think, the one thing that does do is bring that sense of united sportsmanship together. I'm not a big sports watcher, but the Olympics does draw one in completely. And and, uh, it's been a fantastic two weeks of sporting achievement, especially for Great Britain. We'll just say no more than that, really. I've really enjoyed watching this because obviously my partner's Brazilian and watching it in Brazil and the Brazilian crowds. But they are a bit different to crowds elsewhere with some of the booing and things. Which is a bit strange, I have to say. It is. And I was asking some people about this. It seems like a lot of the Brazilian crowds treat the sporting spectacle when it's not teams that they are behind. It's not their local football teams or what have you. Almost like a pantomime. They pick a goodie and a baddie and they'll boo one and cheer the other. But that can change at a moment's notice. It's unusual for us and probably quite hard for the players if they're being booed and they're not used to it, especially in the Olympics. But it does show that Brazilian passion. That it certainly does. Yes. Now, thank you for explaining that to me. I was wondering for the last two weeks what the hell was going on. <laughs> I was sat watching um, the athletics with my other half. Now, why are they booing? And she's like, well, he's the bad guy. And I'm like, well, what? He can't be a bad guy. He's a, he's an athlete. You know, it's not like we're watching Rocky Four. That's how they do it. So basically they've translated Hollywood movies of good guys and bad guys to every sporting achievement in the world. Pretty much. That's quite amusing. It is. But I'll tell you what I did see that made me... I, I was so pleased and so proud, despite the fact that it was the Great British team that lost, was the Rugby Sevens final. Oh, yes. Fantastic game. I mean, the Fijians played the British off the park. We had a very strong team. We'd had some good wins up until then, but the Fijians were just a different class. It was a lesson, really. But what was really lovely at the end was how the Fijians were very courteous to the losing team, mingled with them. They'd won this great victory, but there was no no rubbing anyone's face in it or going overboard. And there were some really lovely photos being taken of the teams all mingled together. And Fiji well deserved their medal. I think it was their first gold? I believe so. So first team gold, I think. Yeah. We've said this previously about rugby. It's one of those interesting sports where on the field of 
of combat. You might bash your opponent's face into goo or hand him off into the floor, but as soon as the whistle blows, that's it. Everyone's together, everyone's quite camaraderie, and, and they'll go out for drinks afterwards and, and celebrate together. That's not so true of, of many other sports, but it is kind of very true of rugby, and I think that's kind of interesting. And it is one of the things you see in the way that rugby is played at the high level and where it's refereed. I don't know if you saw... Last year and the year before, there were some little viral videos of Nigel Owens, the Welsh referee. One of my favourite referees. I think we've talked about this before on the podcast, but where a player from one of the teams gave him some back chat. And he said, you know, let me introduce myself to you because we've not met yet. I'm the referee. You don't talk back to me. If you want to talk back, the football stadium's over there. (laughs) (laughs) And that brings up my great new points that um, mm. football is taking a lesson from rugby. It's taken a long, long time, oh, okay. taken a hugely long time. As of this season, which it's just kicked off, the football season kicked off, um, you can now get a yellow and or a red card for back chatting the referee, surrounding the referee, gesticulating mm-hmm. to the referee hostilely, being abusive to the referee. You could be sent off. Great. I think I've been talking about this for about, oh, I don't know, since the beginning of The Perfect Gentleman, I think, for how how football could turn around its bad behaviour. I remember as a boy going to see my uncle referee a rugby match at um, the local club. There was a, a chap who was a big wig in the club, and I think he'd, he'd put up a lot of the money for the games and that sort of thing, and he was a local councillor, I seem to recall. Very important chap, and he back-chatted my uncle, who sent him off, and the guy went to the sidelines. He said, no, no, I've sent you off from the field of play. That means you go home or you sit in the clubhouse. Things like that are ingrained in rugby and some other sports, but right the way from the lowest level up to the highest. It leads to a much more pleasant atmosphere, a much better game, a much more sporting game. And I think something that is more enjoyable and better to watch a better contest of skill, not just a contest of trying to fool the referee by falling down or trying to intimidate him into doing what you want. Absolutely, and I'm really happy that this has happened in football, and I hope they really strictly enforce it. It will take a couple of weeks, I'm sure, before it starts to come to fruition. The first couple of weeks, everyone will be on their best behaviour, but in a couple of weeks' time, when the pressure starts to mount, I'm sure that uh, it would be um, 9 versus 10 on the uh, football field, or maybe even eight versus nine. We'll take a good ref to just send a few people off to sort of prove the point, and then I think maybe football will start to learn the lessons of rugby and that you don't back-chat the referees. I know if a few people who play football at a moderately high level, the pressure they're under is immense. The cost of failure is, is immense. So turning that into something that requires good sportsmanship is really, I think, the only way you can do it. So many other sports have great sportsmanship. We talked before the podcast about tennis, and, and tennis, I always think, is the great gentleman sport. And it's one of the very few uh, sports that actually have an award for sportsmanship. It's called the Stefan Edberg Award because he won it uh, consecutively a number of years in the trot but the last man to have run it this recent era is Roger Federer Roger Federer was like what it eight or nine times being a complete gentleman in sport <laughs> absolutely dominant at the top of his game and just goes to show you you can do that and you can be good and still be a sportsman and still be a gentleman absolutely and I think it showed in the Olympics as well the last week in the Andy Murray Del Poitro final it was a very tough match it was a hugely draining match for both players by the looks of things and allegedly they've had some pithy matches beforehand but at the end of the match you know they shook hands and actually hugged because obviously it was such a draining and emotional match for both of them that's great and you've got to like that level of sportsmanship there was something that actually i saw as well that i thought was wonderful was in the archery which is not a sport i've, I've ever really watched which just happened to be on while i was i was working through some documents i watched two americans brady ellison and zach garrett 
who are close friends and teammates, but they were put together in the third round. Ellison just pipped it. And it was it was a tight match. And he was clearly elated to have won, but he kind of caught himself just as he was pumping his arm and tucked it into his body and then hugged his friend and the guy he'd just beaten. And it was just a really nice way of him showing that he cared about his teammate and his friend and his opponent and didn't want to rub his face in the victory, which was fantastic. Our wonderful partners, the Cravat Club, provide luxury silk cravats, scarves and pocket squares. Designed and handcrafted in England. So complement your style with a touch of sartorial elegance with these 100% silk cravats, scarves and pocket squares, which are an ideal addition to evening or day wear for a sharp and refined look for the distinguished gentleman. Head on over to their website, www.cravat-club.com to grab yours now. We have to mention the fact that there are some people who are not very good sportsmen about things. We talked earlier about the judo, about Islam al-Shahabi facing off against Orsasan. And obviously there's politics and religion and things behind that. He declined to shake hands, I think twice. And then when the referee ordered him back to the mark to bow, which is a requirement in judo, he gave the most perfunctory bow, brief his nod of his head and stalked off. It's just a shame to see that. It is a shame to see that, especially in judo, which is a hugely disciplined and polite sport, as, as is most martial arts, actually, as most competitive martial arts. It's all about respect of the dojo, the square, the fight itself and your opposing fighter. It's one of those things that you kind of think, well, that lowers the tone for you and doesn't show well the sport in general and that's kind of a sad thing and I think he should be reprimanded for that politics aside we're not talking about politics here we're talking about sportsmanship behaviour absolutely and I think talking about martial arts that brings to mind something that happened recently at the Bellator fight I don't know if you know it but Bellator is an American mixed martial arts competition and there was an English fighter a fantastic guy Michael Venom Page a young Londoner has a very unorthodox style of fighting and a very showy way of acting which Having met him when I, I did some work on the Kingsman film promotions, isn't really him. He was an absolute delightful gentleman at that event. He was courteous. He declined to do things that would have been disrespectful to others when asked to for the promotion. He was a delight to work with. Now, in this bout, he caught his opponent with a phenomenal knee to the head that actually quite badly injured his opponent. And unfortunately, he'd obviously had this pre-planned thing where he'd throw a Pokeball, like as in, as in the Pokemon game. Um, to his opponent. So that was Evangelista Santos, who's a, a long-standing journeyman Brazilian MMA guy. Um, sometimes called Cyborg. That's his, that's his nickname. And you know, Page utterly destroyed and probably ended his career and then finished it on this slightly sour note of crowing about the victory and showing this disrespectful sort of pokeball, putting the hat on, that sort of thing. I think he did that before the fight and he decided that was what he wanted to do before he'd seen the victory and I don't think he realised how badly injured uh, Santos was but it seems to be that there's a drive in that type of professional media personality based sports to do things like that that make it hard to be a sportsman and I think having met Michael Page just the once he strikes me as someone who is a natural sportsman and is having to act in a different way to build the promotion, to create the controversy. Does that feed into the whole media only likes death and destruction because it sells newspapers and, and that kind of controversy sells newspapers and being a controversial person sells newspapers? And I think that's kind of a bit sad. We should be promoting people who behave fantastically well rather than people who behave 
appallingly or are doing it for showboating and showmanship. It's a bit sad and I don't know whether it's changing completely, but it certainly I feels like it's changing a bit. I think there is this kind of level of, well, actually, we should do better and be better. And Hopefully, you know, the appeal of those sorts of things will begin to wane. And perhaps the changes we talked about for the football will drive that because football is such a hugely influential sport globally. Yeah, I think that's true. And I think then the behaviour of the people off the field might reflect the behaviour that they have to behave on the field. Those two things are um, interconnected. Your public face and your private face should not be too dissimilar. You know, you and I have met a number of people in our lines of work uh, through our history, and not often is their public face the same as their private face. Everyone wants to put their best face forward when they're out in public. I remember one of my friends telling me this when I was a student, and he was surprised that another friend had lied to him about something relatively inconsequential. And he said, why would you do that? It must be so hard pretending to be something you're not and having to remember what you've said to people. It's so much simpler to be the person you want to be and try and be the best person you want to be. Absolutely. I hope that the Olympic ideal and the Olympics will inspire a new generation of proper sportsmen to behave correctly no matter what they do. Elliott Rhodes is the foremost belt brand that seeks to make people see belts in a whole new way and to show them that a great belt is imperative to dressing with style and individuality. With four stores, three in London and one in Japan, Elliott Rhodes belts are bespoke and innovative. They create beautiful luxury leather belts and buckles in a wide variety of colours and textures and styles. They suit all tastes. Check them out at elliottroads.com. Just as an aside, the other weekend you were at uh, your fight camp. I was, yes. Fight camp is a historical European martial arts event. So for those people who don't know what that HEMA, as it's often called, is it's primarily the reconstruction and building upon the legacy of, of Europe's historical martial arts. So everything from boxing and wrestling through to swordsmanship, pole arms, all that kind of stuff. It's not reenactment as such, you're not dressing up, but it's approaching it as a martial art and, and sometimes as a sport. Fantastic. And what were you doing there, sir? Fight Camp's at the biggest event in the UK, I think, probably one of the biggest in Europe. There's about 200 people, exactly 200, because that's the, the, the limit for the site. It's held in a great location in Balsall Common, in, outside Coventry, in the sort of beautiful countryside around there. It's a, a mixed indoor and outdoor event with lots of classes going on, lots of competitions. One of the biggest competitions of the year is held there, which is something we jokingly call the Egg Cup. It's actually the Matthew Eggleton Memorial Competition from a guy we used to train with who died very young of a brain aneurysm. And so we remember him and his utterly bonkers fun way of approaching martial arts and the joy he did through this competition. What I especially enjoy about historical European martial arts is because because it's a relatively small sport and people tend to know each other, there tends to be a lot of sportsmanship and a lot of good manners both in those competing and those training. On the Sunday, I was teaching the last unarmed session of the weekend. Now, it, it was quite a heavy one. It was boxing and pugilism focused. We were doing lots of rounds and really challenging the guys to go with it. And it was, people were struggling. But what was lovely in that was seeing how people were encouraging and helping each other to get through. 
And as I was challenging them to give me one more round, give me one more round, and they were, they, they were saying to each other, oh, you can do this, and we'll do this together. And that was really lovely to see. Oh, that's excellent. It was great, and so much fun. Although I, I was suffering a bit for it afterwards, because obviously I'm trying to keep up with everyone whilst they're working out and whilst I'm teaching, as well as trying to see everyone. <laughs> you don't realise until the end quite how, quite how hard work that is. Uh, yes, I can imagine. Only teaching one session? I taught one session, and I studied a few others. did a fantastic wrestling session with a good friend of mine, Martin Oswick, who teaches wrestling and swordsmanship in Surrey and has online courses. Actually, you can go and check him out. You'll find him online. But he's really, really good. Again, hard training, but fun with a lot of guys I've known for, for quite some time and some new guys in there as well. And you get this thing with wrestling, especially traditional European wrestling and catch as catch can, as it's often called, because it's painful. It does hurt to do it. You know, you've got people landing on you and lying on you and kneeling on you and things like that. But everyone's laughing almost the whole time. It's that feel of, you know, sometimes where you're playing a game or you're playing sport, and I've had it playing rugby and had it playing football, where you get a knock and you're like, oof, and then it, you just laugh because you're having fun. And even the pain and the momentary pain of the impact is amusing because of it. It's a great feeling. I threw a, an 18-stone German chap and he landed right on top of me and sort of crushed my ribs and knocked all, all the wind out of me. And I couldn't stop laughing. <laughs> You're not going to get that in many, many places. No, no. And it is, it is so much fun. As I said, in a lot of the classes, and it's true in a lot of sports, it's important. You want to do it properly. But if you're not having fun, if you're not smiling while you're doing it, what's the point? Totally. And just to round off on, on a light-hearted note, something I found... Out of the blue and bizarrely, just on a fun sports note, mm. I found the World Mondo Croquet Federation. It's basically croquet American style with bowling balls and sledgehammers. Oh, fantastic. And they have a world championship. It was on in July 31st. It's in Portland in Oregon in the US. And they all dress up um, in some wacky Mad Hatter Tea Party steampunk Oh, this that sounds brilliant. And it's been going for, uh, I think it's going since 97. It looks hilarious. I am severely tempted to go next year and represent Great Britain. I think so, yes. So that's Mondo Croquet. The World Mondo Croquet Federation, yes. Played croquet with, with sledgehammers and bowling balls. Okay, I've played croquet once in my life and, and was quite confused. <laughs> but with sledgehammers and bowling balls, that sounds... Well, it sounds like the sort of thing you would you would really only find in America. Or eccentric Britain as well. I mean, it is, it is very... Well, well, it is well, true. Very, I mean, croquet in its very nature is quite eccentric. Yes. But um, bowling balls and, and uh, sledgehammers is particularly wonderfully eccentric. That sounds like my sort of sport. Exactly. <laughs> well, maybe we should go there and represent Perfect Gentlemen next year and uh, Great Britain at the, uh, the World Monument. Croquet Championships. Well, it can't be a world championship unless you actually have the world represented. So, um, yes, I think we should have a field trip. Yes, I think we should. Next July, we should be going to Portland, Oregon. <laughs> well, that's the end of today's podcast. So, if you want to get in touch with us, if you want to talk about sports, sportsmanship, anything you like, the World Mondo Croquet Federation, maybe we might have some Mondo Croquet players listening. We shall certainly um, tag it up. If you want to get hold of us, please drop us a note at enquiries at theperfectgentleman.tv or catch us on social media. We're on Twitter and Facebook and Instagram. We are the P Gentleman or P Gentlemen, depending on the account. But you just Google The Perfect Gentleman and we are there. So please do get in contact. We love hearing from you. As we've said previously, this month's issue of the magazine was inspired by our Twitter follower, Matthew Bate. So we do listen to our audience out there. We always appreciate you. So please do drop us a line. We're always delighted to hear from you. 
Um, so that's it this week. Uh, thank you, James. Not thank you, Zach. Always a pleasure. Until next time, my friend. Take care. This podcast is brought to you by the Perfect Gentleman Group Limited and was edited by Andy Nichol at the Pistachio Palace.